Hello and welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of the Stocks and Savings Podcast. I'm Andrea. I'm Jamie. And today we're going to talk about what's happening in the UK economy, focusing on inflation and interest rates. We're going to start with a brief timeline of government policy in the last two months, then delve into what inflation is and its relationship to interest rates and the Bank of England, and end with what to expect in the future. Now, that might sound a little bit dry, but if you've been paying any attention to the UK economy over the last couple of months, you'll know that it has been a little bit of a roller coaster. So even though that introduction may not sound like the most exciting thing in the world, believe me, there's a lot to talk about and plenty that we're pretty keen to discuss. As a disclaimer, remember that nothing in this podcast should be treated as financial advice. This is for educational purposes only. Always do your own research and apply your own judgment when making financial decisions. It all started on 23rd of September when the new government announced a staggering mini-budget. It involved a host of economic measures in a bid to boost growth, but there were two that got the most attention. First, there was the announcement that the energy price guarantee will stay at 2500 for the next two years. This limits the unit price that energy companies can charge on gas and electricity. It means that you could still pay over 2500 depending on the amount of energy you consume, but £2,500 will be the average price. The second highly publicized measure was a range of tax cuts, particularly the plan to scrap the 45p tax rate for the highest earners. Now, Jamie, do you want to tell us what the issue was with these economic measures? Well, the main issue was that they involved an estimated increase in government borrowing of £411 billion over the next five years. The rationale behind this was that putting more money into people's hands would lead to higher economic growth, as everyone poured that money into the economy to buy more goods and services. Well, that sounds great. Why was that a problem? Well, aside from the fact that a lot of this borrowing was unfunded, so it was basically just on the hope that that happened, and on the hope that it stimulated the economy, and on the hope that economic growth paid for these costs. There's also the issue that trying to stimulate the economy would lead to an increase in inflation, which at the time of the government's announcement was already at 9.9%. The new government also skipped some of the checks and balances that official budgets go through, and all of this combined spooked the financial markets. Exactly. It all culminated in two major things that happened on September 26th. The cost of government borrowing soared and the pound fell to a record low against the dollar at $1.03. So just as background, the cost of government borrowing acts as a benchmark for the rates that the banks charge on mortgages. When the cost of government borrowing jumped, banks had to reassess the lending rates that they charged. This is why some lenders pulled mortgage deals off the market and returned with much higher rates. Another effect of the cost of government borrowing rising had to do with large pension funds. Simply put, the government borrows through loans called bonds or gilts in the UK. When the cost of government borrowing goes up, the price of gilts goes down. Pension funds own a lot of gilts and because the value of gilts went down, some of these were at risk of not being able to meet cash demands. That's when the Bank of England intervened and announced it would start buying gilts to restore gilt prices and market confidence. The other effect was a dramatic fall in the value of the pound against the dollar. A weak pound makes it more expensive to buy items in other currencies, and the reason why it matters so much is because the UK imports far more than it exports. If the pound is worth less, then the cost of importing goods goes up. Plus, things like oil and gas are priced in dollars, 
So filling up your car would get more expensive, again, fueling fears of a rise in inflation. So when we look at that mini budget that was announced, you know, some of the ideas in there were not terrible, which is probably not the coolest thing to say right now. But it is true. There were some ideas with a good rationale. But I think it's pretty obvious from the market's reaction that they did do far too much, far too quickly. And quite frankly, it was not the right time to be taking this kind of an approach to fiscal policy. Exactly. As you say, I believe that the intention behind these measures was relatively good. I do believe that we need to do something different and better if we want the UK economy to become a high growth, highly productive economy. Because let's face it, the UK has had productivity issues for decades now. But just the way they went about it was not ideal. But the dramatic news in the UK economy didn't slow down after this not-so-mini-mini budget. In the weeks that followed, even more things happened. From replacing the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng with Jeremy Hunt, who then went on to reverse most of the economic measures announced, all of which culminated in Liz Truss resigning and the UK getting a new Prime Minister in the form of Rishi Sunak. Quite amazingly, at present, the only economic measures that have been kept from the mini-budget are a reversal of national insurance hike, the cut in stamp duty, and the removal of the cap on bankers' bonuses. Which, the last one, actually I didn't realize until I did the research for this podcast. I'm surprised that they kept that one. I'm surprised that they kept that one. I, I don't really know if it benefits them or benefits the economy that much. But from a political point of view, it's a pretty um, it's a pretty tough sell. I guess so, but so much happened in the last two months that it's probably just gone under the radar. But probably the most surprising thing is that the effects of the mini-budget continue to be felt by households, especially those looking to get on the property ladder or coming at the end of their fixed term, as banks have kept their mortgage rates higher than they were prior to it. And the expectation is that mortgage rates will rise even further, as the Bank of England is expected to raise the basic rate to 3% on the 3rd of November, the day that this podcast comes out. This would be the bank's biggest rate hike in 33 years. Now, why is the Bank of England raising interest rates? Well, to answer that question, it's useful to look at the Bank of England's mission. Taken from their website, they say... Our mission is to promote the good of the people of the United Kingdom by maintaining monetary and financial stability. They aim to achieve the goal of maintaining monetary stability by keeping price stability in the UK. Specifically, their objective is to keep inflation at 2%. Now, if you've read the headlines recently, you probably know that inflation is not at 2%. In fact, it's about five times higher than that at the minute at 10.1%. But why is inflation so bad? Well, since we're already on the Bank of England's website, we'll use information from their knowledge bank for this section. Yes, they actually have a very useful knowledge bank. So I encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast, to go and take a look on their website. What if they're not listening to this podcast? <laughs> yeah, okay, that was, that was not my smartest comment, was it? <laughs> inflation is the rate at which prices are rising. The Office for National Statistics, or the ONS, reports this figure every month by recording the cost of over 700 goods and services that people buy regularly, from a pint of milk to a car or even a holiday. 
The price of that basket is an indicator of the overall price level and is called the Consumer Price Index, or CPI for short. So when the ONS says inflation is at 10%, they mean that the price of that basket is 10% higher than it was a year ago. The problem with inflation is that it erodes the real value of cash. In other words, what you can buy with it. Say you earn £100 a month and your basket of groceries costs £10. This means you'd be able to afford 10 of these baskets a month. But if inflation is 10%, next year your basket of groceries will cost £1 more for a total of £11. If your salary stays the same, you'll only be able to afford £100 divided by £11 about nine of these baskets. So now you're able to buy fewer goods because of inflation. Can you just ask where this person is finding their £10 basket of groceries? Because, I mean, we shop at Aldi and we don't get anywhere near that. <laughs> is, is Lidl that much cheaper? <laughs> exactly. Um, or are they like us and all their groceries consist of, uh, like, biscuits and, and cereal bars? Or maybe they're like us and use all the HelloFresh coupons and vouchers. But back on inflation, is it all bad or are there some upsides to it? Well, economists argue that a little bit of inflation is actually good for the economy. As you can see, the Bank of England has a target to keep inflation at 2%, so clearly they don't want to get rid of inflation altogether. This is partly because the opposite of inflation, known as deflation, is so bad. British economist John Maynard Keynes described deflation as the paradox of thrift. So stay with me here. If, as a consumer, you're constantly expecting prices to fall, because this is what deflation is, it's, it's the opposite of inflation. If we go back to that £10 basket of goods, then maybe it's next year worth £9 or £9.50. So deflation, opposite of inflation. So if, as a consumer, you're constantly expecting prices to fall, then you may continue to hold off your purchases to get a better deal. But this means that people in general will consume less and less because they're waiting for the prices to fall. But by waiting less and less, they're reducing demand for goods and therefore firms start producing fewer goods, which leads to layoffs and a weaker economy. Plus, inflation, while it erodes the value of cash, it also erodes the value of debt, as you're paying off that debt with money that's less valuable. So it encourages consumers and businesses to borrow, which stimulates spending and investment. So inflation is quite good for you if you have a mortgage, for example, although that's kind of upset by the higher interest rates. So take it with a grain of salt. Exactly. But if maybe, I don't know, last year you managed to get a five-year fixed-term mortgage rate when the interest rates were very, very low, then even as inflation is pushing the cost of goods up, it's also making the value of your debt, in real terms, lower. Yeah, exactly. So if you secured a rate at 3%, for example, for the next three years, and now inflation is at 10%, then you are effectively paying a real interest rate of minus 7%. That is 3% your interest rate minus the 10% rate of inflation. So the bank is basically paying you in order to borrow money, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, it's not shabby at all. So a little bit of inflation is good, but it's even better if that rate is predictable, as it helps people and businesses to plan how much to spend, save and invest. This is why the Bank of England and several other central banks around the world aim to keep inflation at 2% per year. 
That's about the average rate in the last 20 years, although it has gone up and down over the years. On its website, the Bank of England actually has a helpful example of why high and unpredictable inflation is bad for the economy. So between 2007 and 2009, Zimbabwe experienced very high and volatile inflation. The price level increased by around 80 billion percent in a single month, which I'm having trouble visualizing. (laughs) As a result, people simply refused to use Zimbabwean banknotes and the economy ground to a halt. Okay, so I hope you're still with us. You know, nothing like kicking off the first season with a deep dive into inflation, but uh, hey-ho, that's what we're here for. Had to be done. It had to be done. To be honest, after everything that's gone on in the UK economy over the last two months, we had to speak about it to an extent because, you know, we've all seen in the news the reaction to the mini budget and all the chaos that kind of followed afterwards. But it's not always obvious what the knock on effects were. You know, so you might have seen the news about the pension funds having trouble, but. You might look at the the main budget and think, oh, well, what's the connection? So at least now you know that pension funds hold government bonds, which are known as gilts, and the impact of the mini budget and an increase in unfunded government borrowing caused these gilts to fall and caused pension funds to have some issues. Plus, it allowed me to refresh my memory of first and second year macroeconomics at uni, which is always fun. Yeah, so welcome to Andrea's University Refresher uh, podcast. (laughs) Okay, so far, we know that low and stable inflation is good, high and unpredictable inflation is bad, and that the Bank of England wants to keep inflation at 2% a year. But how does it do this? The main way they do this is through interest rates, which are the charges you pay on a loan or a mortgage, or the money your bank gives you on your savings. The theory is that Higher interest rates make it more expensive for people to borrow and more attractive for people to save. This means that people and businesses will spend less. This will decrease the demand for goods and services, which means that prices will tend to rise more slowly. And this will be reflected in the rate of inflation falling. The reverse is also true. Lower interest rates means that it's cheaper to borrow money and less attractive to save. As a result, people are encouraged to spend more and save less. The Bank of England can influence interest rates in two ways, but just for this podcast, we'll only focus on one, and that is through their bank rate, which is also known as the base rate of interest. This is the rate at which normal banks, so your Barclays and Santander and HSBC, can deposit their money with the Bank of England overnight. In turn, this rate acts as a reference for all the other interest rates in the UK. When the Bank of England raises their base rate, then this eventually gets passed on to consumers. So in December 2021, the Bank of England's rate was at 0.1%, whereas before today's hike, it stood at 2.25%. In December 2021, the top rate offered on an easy access savings account was 0.71%, according to express.co.uk, whereas nowadays you can get a rate closer to 2.5%. And the rate on a two-year fixed rate mortgage was 1.57%, compared to 4.17% in September this year, according to Statista. So basically, we can see when the Bank of England's base interest rate is low, then your normal high street banks will offer lower rates on savings, but also lower rates on mortgages, and vice versa. Now that the Bank of England's base rate has gone up, you're starting to see more high street banks offer 
better returns on your savings accounts, but they're also bumping up the rate that they're charging for mortgages. On their website, the Bank of England say that they do take steps to ensure that their rates are passed on to consumers. But I think it's fair to say that historically, banks have been more willing to increase the rates at which people borrow rather than increase the interest rates that you get from savings accounts. However, interest rates on savings accounts have finally started to pick up. And you can actually get some pretty decent interest rates nowadays. So for, I think for a five-year fixed-term savings account, you can get something close to 5%, which is quite good. Yeah, that's not too bad. All right, so what are the expectations for the future? The expectation is that the Bank of England will keep hiking interest rates in order to tame inflation. Financial markets were expecting the base rate to go as high as 5 or 6% next year after Liz Truss's mini-budget. However, the change of Prime Minister and Chancellor has somewhat calmed those forecasts, together with reports that the government is now exploring tax increases and public spending cuts worth up to £50 billion. Economic surveys have also suggested that the UK either is in a recession or is heading into one. Normally, this would mean that the Bank of England could lower their rate in order to stimulate economic activity. Remember what we said earlier. The Bank of England increases their base rate to put the brakes on the economy and decreases their rate when they want to stimulate it. However, the fact that inflation shows no signs of slowing down means that the bank has to focus on bringing it back in line with their 2% target and therefore has to increase interest rates. Now, this does put the Bank of England in you know, quite a difficult position when you think about it because their aim is to get inflation down, get inflation down to that 2% level from 10% that it's at right now. And the main way it does that is by raising interest rates, you know, making saving more attractive, making borrowing less attractive and slowing down the economy. But then if a recession is going to hit or if a recession has already hit, you know, that will whack economic growth anyway. So you have this really difficult combination for the bank to deal with of an economy that's already slowing down and in a recession, but inflation that's going, you know, through the roof still. As you said, normally in a recession, they would be cutting interest rates, but they can't cut interest rates because it seems like that would just make inflation even worse. And you already showed the example with Zimbabwe of what can happen when inflation goes out of control. Exactly. I think the Bank of England cannot afford to look like they're soft on inflation because a big part of their job is actually to influence people's expectations. So the way that a rate hike works is that it convinces people and businesses to consume less, you know, to borrow less and to save more. However, if these consumers and businesses think that the Bank of England is soft on inflation and they won't increase interest rates that much, then they will just continue to consume and invest as normal, thereby offsetting any sort of rate increases that the bank does. I think one of the other challenges that we're seeing from the Bank of England, and, and we're seeing this for banks all over the world, is the soaring energy prices. Now, I'm sure that everyone here has noticed their um, energy bills go slightly through the roof, or at least are fully aware that that is going to happen over the next six months at least. This is a big driver of inflation because it means we have to pay more for our energy. It also means that businesses have to pay more to run their warehouses, their supply chains, their operations. And this additional cost, they can either eat some of it and reduce their profit margins, which some businesses are 
doing, but they are also having to increase the prices that they charge consumers. So the issue with energy is kind of fueling inflation on a couple of different fronts. The problem is that the Bank of England can't create more energy. They can't create more supply. The only thing they can really influence, or at least they can try to influence, is demand and try and get demand lower. But if you want to prepare your finances ahead of a recession, last week we actually posted six tips on how to do just that on our Instagram page at Stocks and Savings, where we post daily and money investing tips. And we plan to record podcast episodes on how to invest in a recession. So make sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be the first one to know. So there you have it, the first episode of season two of the Stocks and Savings podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us on this really upbeat, uplifting, feel good first episode that we decided to go for. Because, you know, nothing says cheery like the depressing macroeconomic environment that we currently find ourselves in. But look on the plus side. If you stick with our podcast, then it's only going to be up from here, right? Hope so. Nonetheless, we hope you found this episode helpful. And if you did, please share this with a friend. And feel free to send us a message on Instagram with any questions or feedback that you might have. See you next time.